Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 66. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what's going on? All you unstoppable restaurant professionals, it's your host, Eric Catch a Tory, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry, and we do that by listening to the stories and taking the advice from some of the restaurant industry's most successful restaurant professionals. I have a doozy for you today, and I can't wait to hit play. Just a quick reminder that... I would love to get your feedback on the show. You can do it by leaving me a review on iTunes, preferably a five-star review, guys. Help a brother out. I need your support. Also, shoot me a message. Let me know who you admire in the restaurant industry, and I will do everything humanly possible to get them on the show as a guest mentor. All you got to do is give me a tweet at Eric with a C. C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, just like the chicken, but it means hunter, and I'm not hunting for chicken, guys. I am hunting after the folks that can give us the advice to make our restaurant dreams unstoppable. So what are you waiting for? Connect with me. Spoiler alert, if you want to learn a little bit about how you can make your website just a tad bit better, you'll have to uh, stick around to the end. Sorry. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Hold on to your britches. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Matthew Ridgeway. Chef, how are you today? Good. Fine. How are you? Oh, I am terrific. And like I ask every one of my guests, are you ready to drop some restaurant bombs knowledge? Absolutely. I can't wait. Let's do it. All right. So let me just give a quick introduction, Chef, then I'll pass it over to you to further elaborate. Chef Matthew Ridgway has traveled coast to coast and abroad studying and perfecting his culinary craft. In addition to proving himself in the kitchen, he was also an excellent student graduating summa cum laude at Johnson & Wales Culinary School. In 2004, his work at La Croix at the Rittenhouse as Chef de Cuisine was recognized by StarChefs.com and earned him a Rising Star Award. Today, he is a chef partner at Pork Salt in the Pass in Rosemont, New Jersey. This was just a quick introduction, and I'll allow you to kind of tell us about where you got your start in the industry and uh, how you got to where you are today. Uh, well, I've been cooking, God, for forever, it seems like. Uh, I grew up uh, in Bucks County, which is at the time was... Uh, massive farmland and my parents uh, uh, purchased about two to three acres of land and we've been um, we turned everything in the garden so growing up I learned how to preserve I learned how to can I learned how to pressure can um, we had to we I was the youngest of family of four and we all had to learn how to cook I was a latchkey child so you know we would come home my job was to cook dinner so I've been cooking since I've been, you know, non-professionally since probably like 12, 13 years old, and professionally since I've been about 18 years old. Um, when do you make the decision to go professional? Um, 
You know, I, I didn't originally want, I really liked to cook. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I'd rather, I was rather cooking than doing, you know, yard work outside. It wasn't really, yeah. didn't really interest me so much. <laughs> um, but, you know, originally I wanted to go into criminal justice when okay. I was a junior in high school because I didn't think cooking could be actual profession. This was before cooking was actually considered cool or yeah. on TV. Um, so my brother convinced me to go take a look at some culinary schools after uh, my parents sent me to a kind of like a, a leadership youth camp at the Pennsylvania State Police Academy. And I, I never shot a gun before, and that was the first time I shot a gun. And it was not the best experience of my life. So <laughs> it, not criminal justice was just not for me. FBI was just out of the question. Um, so I went to Johnson Wales, and I decided that, that was, uh, I was going to be the, the you know, the best choice. It was between CIA and, and Johnson and & Wales, and, and at the time, CIA required a six-month um, six training in the field, but my parents wouldn't let me cook professionally until I was about 17, 18 years old. So I had no experience. I couldn't go to the CIA, so it left me with Johnson & Wales. I also looked at some different schools like IUP, and uh, Johnson & Wales seemed to fit. Awesome. So, so you were at Johnson's and Johnson and Wales. You kicked butt, earning summa cum laude, and uh, you headed out to California. Why don't you tell us a little I bit did. about that? I did. That was great. Uh, you know, and I was in California when I was pretty young. Uh, I uh, was able. I was probably was a ninety four. Um, it was you know around the same time like the French Launders in its first year. You know, there's a place called Bet Bet's run, run by Daniel Patterson in Sonoma. I worked at a place called Eastside Oyster Bar and Grill. And then my chef would take me around to different restaurants and have me work in different restaurants on my day off. So okay. I got a really good experience out in California before, like, that huge California food scene erupted. And, you know, the GM, you know, would take me out and show me wines, and we'd drink wines, and she'd teach me about all about the different vintage and varietals and the difference between California wine, between Napa and Sonoma, French-Italian you know, South African, American, you know, so I got a huge learning curve adjustment when I was out in California for that, that amount of time. And I loved to cook. So it was, you know, I was cooking literally like seven days a week for almost nine months. Awesome. Let's uh, fast forward to your drive across country. How'd you know I drove across country? Man, there's this little thing called the internet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So when I, uh, I left, uh, I left California, came back, and then I went to, I was at Widener full-time, and I worked at uh, the Four Seasons. And then I was at the Four Seasons for about a year and a half, and then I decided I want to go back out to California. So I went out to California again. I drove across through uh, California uh, from Philadelphia. And, you know, it was pretty uneventful. I mean, it was beautiful country. I mean, there's parts of the country I would not never go to again, but there are some really, really beautiful, beautiful areas. But... You know, I was in San Francisco for a while, and then we drove back. You know, I stayed in San Francisco, staged at all these different restaurants. So my goal was basically what I did was all the money I saved up over a couple years, which is considerable, I blew out there by (laughs) staging at all these different restaurants. So I don't know if you know what a stagiaire is, but you basically work for free. Yeah. And so I went to, you know, I worked at La Folie. I worked at the dining room at Ritz-Carlton. I worked at the Fifth Floor. I worked at Aqua. You know, this was before, still before, like, a really food network kind of, you know, really kind of exploded. So, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I don't want to cut too much of your experience up, but let's fast forward sure. into uh, you're working for uh, 
chef, and I'm always afraid to say a French name's long, Jean, but Jean, Jean-Marie Lacroix. Yes, thank you. Jean-Marie Lacroix. Right. Well, Jean-Marie, I, were, I started at the Four Seasons. I started actually in the cafeteria and worked my way all the way up to the Saucier at the Four Seasons Fountain Room. Now, Jean-Marie was pretty much a legend in the food world in the, the mid-90s. You know, there was only, in Philadelphia, there was only, like, Lebexin, the Four Seasons, and Susanna Fu. That was it. There was no Mark Vetri. There was no Stephen Starr. There was none of that. All right. Um, so you either worked for Georges Perrier or you worked for Jean-Marie. I chose to work for Jean-Marie. You know, Jean-Marie is a complete polar opposite of Georges Perrier, where Georges is very brass, um, you know, Jean-Marie is very, very refined, mm-hmm. He's very, very quiet, reserved, but he is excellent in the kitchen. He was a true manager chef. He really taught me a lot about managing entire kitchens, about organizing, about food. He was pretty much one of, he was the first pe- person to really kind of hone my skills as a chef, as a manager when we didn't know it yet, but, you know, as a chef manager, knowing about food costs, understanding numbers, um, but also he, he allowed us to experiment with food and really kind of develop our own cuisine. Um, so when he le- retired from the Four Seasons, he opened up La Croix at the Rittenhouse. He asked me to come over to be a chef de cuisine. I was probably about 24 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big leap from being a saucier to chef de cuisine because I never really expected to be chef de cuisine. My goal yeah. was really to just uh, work for him for another year and then travel again. But it turned out that, you know, we developed a, a style of menu that re- everybody really kind of enjoyed, and and I stayed with him for another five years. Awesome. It must have been an incredible learning experience uh, working under such a, you know, a well-respected person, somebody who just knows the, the trade so well. Uh, oh, yeah. And then afterwards you worked with a handful of restaurant groups, and then uh, fast-forwarding into more current times, you are now, I'll, I guess I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, when, real quick, when uh, I left Chef, I went down south and I worked for uh, Joel and Tunez. Okay. And, you know, I worked with his chef de cuisine. Now, he was probably the, one of the best chefs cooking-wise I've ever worked with in my entire life. I mean, he was amazing. Um, he used to own a two-star Michelin restaurant in London back in the 90s and then came to Atlanta. But then we went up to New York. The economy crashed. I came back down to this area just because, you know, from the time I was 17 to the time I was 33, I never took a break. I always worked. There was no vacations for me. Any vacations was working vacations, so it was pretty mm-hmm. burnout. Um, and I started a charcuterie um, just because I wanted to do something very simple, something easily be reproducer, re- reproducible. Um, I built my own smokehouse, and uh, I started smoking some bacon. Awesome. And it just started really kind of spiraling. Like a lot of people just started buying it over and over and over again. I thought I was going to sell maybe like one, two, four, five pounds of bacon and figure out what I want to do the rest of my life. But I ended up selling almost 500 pounds of bacon a week. That's awesome. And it's so like, you know, just positive to think that these crafts, these skills, these art forms are coming back and people are supporting folks like you who are, who are artists. And um, it's a, it's like, almost at a point like our culture was gone and then people like you uh just brought it back and it's really exciting time right now cool so now that we got to know you and we got your story um i like to really kick off the uh you know question part of the interview with a success or leadership quote or mantra so do you have something uh, a quote or a mantra that you apply to your everyday uh work experience uh (laughs) 
Do you know who Steve Prefontaine is? I've heard the name. Okay, so Steve Prefontaine was considered one of the best American distance runners. Uh, he died pretty early, but he was known for just pushing pushing forward, and he had a quote saying that, uh, you may beat me, but you're going to have to bleed to do it. <laughs> and that's pretty much my my mantra every day. I love the drive and the passion that's like just embodied with that quote. That's awesome. Um, so now that we have your quote and we got that motivational ball going, let's talk about you and your it factor. Um, in your opinion, what do you think it is about you that has made you so successful? Um, I, uh, I think a couple things. Uh, one, I think that uh, uh, stubbornness is going to be one of the biggest uh, uh, biggest reasons that I'm successful. You can't You can't let anybody tell you that, your ideas are stupid, and you can't let anybody tell your ideas are wrong. Anytime someone tells me I'm wrong or that my ideas aren't good, it makes me that much more determined to do them. <laughs> awesome. That is incredible. Is there any other thing that you would say defines you, that makes you you? Hard work. I mean, you know, I'm sure you hear it from everybody. It's hard work. I mean, from the day, from the morning I get up, to when I go to sleep, I'm I'm working or thinking about the restaurant or thinking about food or thinking about. I mean, it's just it, it has to be. You know, that is it's a 24-hour job. It's not a game. It's not a reality TV show. It is. You know, it's an artisan craft. So absolutely, you have to have that work ethic to make it, or you just won't cut it. Um, so now that we know what it is about you that contributes to your success, tell us about a story where these factors um you know helped you get to the next step bring us down to a moment where your your stubbornness and your hard work just pushed you to the next level bring us ah, like, down that's, to that's, the very second the millisecond well i mean uh that's easy i mean encompassing the entire time i was at la croix at the rittenhouse when we started the menu i went to chef and i said you know we need to write a new kind of menu that no one else has done before now i'm 23 years old i don't know you know i'm all full of piss and vinegar mm -hmm. but i don't you know I don't know much about like anything else in the culinary world except for food. But I said, you know, one time I was in Spain, I, you know, had these things called tapas. So what if we pulled this style of menu into high-end dining and make small plates? And so we did first plate, second plate, third plate, any course, three, it would be like three courses, four courses, or five courses, 55, 65, or 75, with dessert free, and you could choose any course any plate. Now, back then, in 99, no one was doing small mm -hmm. plates menus. Everybody told me it was a stupid idea. <laughs> everybody said it was idiotic. It's never going to work. This is, you know, everybody ordered a la carte. It was always, you know, appetizer, dessert, or appetizer, entree, dessert. Stupid idea, never work. Well, TGI Friders now have small plates on their menu. <laughs> I think it worked. Yeah, right? And, you know, like what I take away from this is that um, sometimes like there's so many different people doing things, and so, so many times people just copy what other people are doing. But if you really want to stand apart, you have to take that risk and zig when everyone else is zagging and be different. And uh, I'm sure your hard work and your stubbornness is what got you to stick with it and to not break when other people told you you were stupid. So Of course, there's going to be – and you got to be willing to fail. I mean there's plenty of times that you know I always would have the – you know, I may, you know, I'd rather, you know, fight and fail than, you know, than not try. So now you're or, talking about failure, and I have to stop you there because the next question I have for you, Chef, and pardon my interruption, is career challenges or failures. So mm -hmm. can, you can you share a story of your largest career challenge, or maybe it was a time you failed? 
professionally? Yeah, no, it could <laughs> um, be in your life. Any just. I mean, yeah. Experience. I mean, you know. I mean, I think that you know, especially with being in this industry, it, it pounds you down. I mean, you're you really have to understand that you have to make a choice whether sometimes person put your personal your personal life aside mm-hmm. um, and you have to decide you're going to do this professionally for a, a while and your personal life is going to suffer mm-hmm. um, but for me professionally when we you know we're at the for, at the uh, oak room in new york i mean that was a major disaster it was the first time i really saw like true failure Tell on us, all aspects. Tell of, us what happened. Bring us to the moment. Where, what, tell us about this disaster. A uh, couple. There's. I, I can remember the exact moment. Um, you know. I mean. There's it, always. It's always complicated with owners versus. You know. Versus. You know. Management versus. You know. What the owners want. What the chef wants. And when Chef uh, Joel Tunez and I were in uh, New York, um, you know, the economy was. You know, in a total down spiral. This is in New York. We we're in upper, you know, midtown Manhattan, and when Golden Sachs and all them started to crumble, I mean, high-end dining started to crumble. Um, also, no one wanted to eat in restaurants that had, like, 50 servers and, you know, white tablecloths, and it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't the right time. But, you know, the owners wanted something, and we wanted something else, and it just kind of, you need to have one clear vision, and that was our first, like it or not, I could blame a lot of things, but it was our first failure. You know, that's a hard thing to recoup from, especially when you had a, a, a long stream of successes in your life. And when you fail for the first time, you really, really, you can either get broken from it or you bounce back from it. And, you know, you, that's another decision you have to make personally and professionally as well. So how do you bounce back? Well, you, you don't even think you are, but uh, I took a break. I, you know, I took a break from cooking. I was not in an actual cooking kitchen uh, besides, like, you know, doing my smokehouse and, you know, making charcuterie for almost four years. Was that the best for, for anybody else? Maybe, maybe not, but that was the best for me. But you don't realize you're bouncing back. You just kind of take one day at a time and you just kind of rebuild and figure out what you want to do and, and make sure this is the right, right path you want to take. Would you say during this time that you took that break, were you just working on yourself, um, fixing yourself first and getting that clarity? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because you don't, you know, you know, for a long time, you know, you, you know, when you're at a certain time, you, you have to figure out what exactly uh, you want, you know. I mean, it took, and for a long time, you know, for a while, it was very black and white for me. You know, you work, and you, you know, you create, and you work, and you create, and you work, and you get up, you go home, you work, and create, and but, you know, as you get older, things become a little bit more areas of gray, and you, you get to situations where you have to you know you have to be okay with what you do in life you know especially mm-hmm. if you do a, an uh you know in the restaurant field that's not exactly the highest paying jobs in the world on a, on a scale from one to ten how important is clarity in having that self-identity with what you're doing ten, ten. thank you awesome so valuable such a great story and uh just an incredible lesson to take away from that um so now is the time that you just drop some big old bombs of knowledge on us. I mean, you just call this the knowledge bombs, and you're just gonna pepper us with just this great advice um, how to you know better lead, manage, and market a restaurant. So, are you ready? Okay, I think so. All right. The first question I have for you, Chef, is what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? If you're gonna go with a partner, make sure that you go with a partner that you trust, and um, make sure that you put money in the game. Because if you don't have any skin in the game, then you can't make any decisions in the 
in the end. It's someone else's money, so they have. You know, in the end of the day, it's their money. They can do what they please. And while we're on the topic, real quick, how do you choose a good partner? Um, well, sometimes uh, you know you have to have be have compatible interests, but at, at the same time, different strengths. Mm-hmm. You can't have someone can't have two partners that agree with each other all the time. It doesn't work that way. I mean. You, you need to be able to have some kind of conflict sometimes, but, you know, in the end of the day, you want to have to trust is the most important thing. You don't want to know that they're not stealing from you, that their goals are the same as your goals, and that, you know, they're willing to put as much effort into the business as you are. Awesome. Great answer. The next question I have for you, Chef, is what advice do you have for hiring good people? It changes over time. I mean, depending, you know, I always say there's you know, everybody has one good knife in their tool bag. And that doesn't mean that, you know, to me, that means pretty much that, you know, maybe they're not the best cook, but they're really good organizer. Maybe they're not the best organizer, but they're really good cooking. Or maybe they're not the best waiter, but they're a great manager. So you have to know, you have to put ego aside to figure out what you want to get out of that person. And you have to find, you know, everybody to treat people the same, you have to treat them differently, and you have to figure out what makes people tick. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by, you know, you know, just uh, a pat on the back. It's just so many different things, and uh, it's important by hiring someone, I know right away if they're going to work out or not. And I always go with my first gut experience with people is that I just know how they're going to work out is just you ask them questions that have nothing to do with the position that they're at, you know they're after it really gets to know them you have to be a little mm-hmm. bit of a psychologist i think man that's an incredible answer and i just want to share a book with you if you haven't already read it um i just because of your answer i really think this book would resonate with you it's chip Connolly's the peak uh it's an incredible book and it talks about what you're talking about right now so check that one out Pardon the interruption. I just love to share things. When (laughs) all right, Um, the next question I have for you, Chef, is when you find good people, what advice do you have to keep them around? I mean, it's. I think it's constant. I mean, you know, a lot of times it has to do with repetition. Is that it's not just like one piece of advice. It, you know, it's over time. It's like kind of like if you give someone the world, they're not going to really kind of respect what they were given. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. you, you need to be able to, you know, break them down but build them back up at the same time. You know, there's always going to be failure, but you're going to have to – I always probably say if there's one piece of advice, I would say, you know, you know everybody mis- makes mistakes. It's how you react to that mistake that makes you a better manager or cook. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what advice do you have uh, for teamwork and getting through those heated moments, those rushes, or just the hard times? Um, you know, I think that, uh, for me, teamwork takes a long, long time. I mean, it, bringing teams together that work really well takes years, I think, to get to, you know, to really function and gel properly. And once you do, you know, you have, like, a team can go through anything, you know. Um, but I think that you need to know people's strengths and weaknesses, and then, you know, when the pressure is on, then people will rise to the occasion. If you constantly soft soak someone and tell them they're great all the time, and you know this hand holding that does, you know, human resources, hand holding, making cray paper, and you know, make, you know, giving out balloons. You know, when things really get heated and when you need people to step up, they won't. Mm-hmm. This plain and simple, they won't. Awesome. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the next question, Chef, best restaurant resource, whether it's a book, website, magazine, or a podcast, what's one resource you'd recommend for our listeners? Becoming a chef 
um, and uh, and culinary artistry, both written by uh, I think a husband and wife, Andrew Dornberg, and I forget her name. Um, and those two are are pretty linked, intertwined. And then as far as on the management side, I would say for me um, on the restaurant management, setting the table by Danny Myers. Mm -hmm. And I would say overall, geez, that's a tough one for me. I'd say outliers. All right. Share with us um, one reason why we need to pick up those first two books you mentioned. I haven't heard of those ones. Actually, I think I have. Uh, Tell us us why they're so important. Well, I mean, they were written back again in the 90s when cooking wasn't cool. And it really gave you an accurate picture of what being a chef and being in a restaurant actually like without this top chef garbage and any of the you know the you know the TV and reality shows, it really kind of gives you a, a snapshot of what you know the dual reality of you know being a cook, being a chef, and being running a business is all encompassing of what it does. I mean, it you know at the end of the day, after all the press, after all the you know the hype, you know you still have to pay your bills. Bottom line. And so, you know, it's a really kind of eye-opening book saying, you know, you need to pay, you know, that's where you're working. You know, it's not for accolades. It's not for, that'll come. It's to pay your bills. <laughs> it sounds like it's yeah. a, a good book for just setting your priorities, creating an assembly of balance. And uh, and I haven't read those two books, so you just sold me. They're going to be on my reader's list. Uh, thank you. What was that, the last you, you had mentioned, uh, Danny Meyer saying the table? We all know about that. It's uh, the the Bible. It's been called for hospitality. And yeah. what was the last book? Outliers. Outliers. And tell us quickly about that. Um, that's just more of a book like um... – it's the same guy who wrote Tipping Point. That's another good book. Okay. It's basically watching trends and seeing where, you know, where trends start, how they work. It's, it's kind of about, like, people who are on the fringes, talks about, like, things like Steve Jobs. And it talks about the people on the fringes who have a lot of imagination and why certain things work and certain things don't. Awesome. Both of them are excellent books. I'll have to check that out as well. Um, all right, the next question, Chef. What social media tools do you use? I use, but not well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That's pretty much it. You know, I'm trying to get into uh, the one, the Tumblr, but I don't really have much to talk about. So. <laughs> all right. So which of these tools, of your marketing tools, would you say you get the best results with? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, the older, you know, I'm about, I'm, I'm 39, so let's say 40 and above tend to use Facebook much more mm-hmm. because I think it's more um, concrete and they can see it. Whereas Twitter, um, I would say that I get the most quick response impact from. Mm-hmm. So both do their job very well for certain sects of, of population and age, age groups. That's great advice, and basically what I'm hearing is that you have to uh, put your efforts where your target market is. Where are the people that you want in your restaurant? Where are they hanging out? And that's where well, you're... I mean, most of my most of my target audience is uh, New York, um, New York City, and um, North Jersey, Huntington County, uh, pretty affluent bedroom community for New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Facebook, you know, a lot because it really kind of gets people out to the restaurant. It keeps them engaged. Website definitely needs to be strong. Um, 
and that connects, of course, to the Facebook. But, you know, Twitter, when I'm for pork salt for the charcuterie, I actually use Twitter much, much more. And the reason is is that, you know, I'm at the farmer's markets. It's more engaging. It's a younger group of people that are coming. They're a little bit more, um, you know, it's kind of like the young working affluent that, Mm -hmm. you know, understand the value of food. So Twitter is much more a quicker resource for me. Awesome. And I, I know I like to always say, you know, keep this part of the interview fast, but then I find questions I want to ask. So I have to ask them, um, how, what advice do you have for making a strong website? I'm making a strong website. Can you think of any resources or tools or services? Yeah. You know, I mean, my brother and I designed, you know, did the website and my, my main thing is like, keep it simple. Mm-hmm and make it super user-friendly because no one wants to go through pages and pages and pages of stuff. Some people like to, but you want to get your point across very quickly, and, you know, and it needs to be simple. I mean, it, it, no other thing about it. It can't. You don't want a complicated website, and the other thing is it needs to be updated. The people spend all this money on graphics and, and you know, and all these things, different songs and and then they spend all this money but they never keep it updated so it's just kind of useless mm-hmm. great advice thank you and you're, you're dead on and that's a very accurate spot on advice um so listen to what he's saying guys he's dropping some big old bombs right now and chef you had mentioned that in, in the pre-interview that you had to check your bacon i want to make yep. sure your bacon's not getting away from you no i've been walking back and forth all right just making sure the next question i have for you chef is how important are new technologies in the industry we're kind of on the topic of technology but what technologies and services are you using in your restaurant to be more productive more efficient and more profitable um i like to work wirelessly as much as possible i mean i was not in the tech boom um as far as it's hard for me, you know, I was in a kitchen for 20 years. My first cell phone basically was when I became a chef at, like, you know, up in New York at 33, and I was forced to use a BlackBerry. So going from no cell phone to a BlackBerry mm-hmm. was basically like you and I going to the moon. Um, so it was completely, you know, out of my, you know, scope, but I learned how to use it. And what's important to me is I like to function quickly. I like to function remotely. I like to be able to see everything. So I use, like, I use like the newest tools I could get, like Revel is a new tool that uh, has an Apple-based platform. It's very simple to use. I'm able to, you know, I'm, I can carry it with me anywhere I go. My dashboard's with me. I can upload anything. I can watch the restaurant while I'm not there. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. And, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm – not at the restaurant, but what I do like is when I say watch restaurant, like not by camera, but I'm saying as far as the numbers are concerned, that QuickBooks, and you know, QuickBooks is the most important. I hate to even give a plug because I, I, I don't uh, like... I wouldn't say it's a plug. Really what you're doing is you're letting us know objectively what works and what doesn't work and what's worth your investment and how to make the I, most of the tools that exist. Yeah, I mean, QuickBooks, you know, I try to invest in things that are, like, will work and stay with me for a long time. You know, Revel, I think, is a great company to use. And QuickBooks, you know, it's the best accounting software. really is. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. find anything else that is updates enough. You know, it's really user-friendly. And for me, it needs to be user-friendly because I'm quick, i got to be quick, mm-hmm. and I'm, I need to be able to do it and get back to work. Awesome. You know, so. 
So thank you very much for sharing that objective advice. And like I said, don't think of it as a plug because in this industry, there's new things coming out all the time. And it's kind of, it makes your head spin when you're at the restaurant working all these hours to stay on top of what's out there, but it will make you more effective. It will make you more productive and we need to help each other and share what's working and what's not working. So absolutely, yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, the next question I have for you, chef is what is your best business advice for someone new to the industry? Um, don't worry about the money. Great advice. And why shouldn't we worry about the money? Well, I mean, if you if you're really interested in doing this, you'll make it work. You know, I, you know, I came out of college just like everybody else, had tons of loans just like everybody else, and I made it work. That means not, you know, I didn't have a car for X amount of years. I didn't, you know, buy a lot of stuff. I spent my money on books about cooking and reading instead of like, you know. Uh, dreaming about the, I didn't dream about the next, you know, being the next chef. I dreamt about, you know, how can I make my food better? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, be engaged with the position you're at because the position that's above you, believe me, you, you don't want it all the time. You know, and I always say, you know, careful about, you know, being at the top because it is lonely because when you're at the top, you know, whether I'm not talking about just like at the top professionally, but, you know, when you're in charge of an entire restaurant, you're in charge of people, and, you know, you have no one to go to. So you, you best you best know yourself very, very well, mm-hmm. because if you don't, you know, you're going to rely on the wrong people. And in the end, that's not going to always be the most uh, effective tool for you. Awesome. Uh, your advice to not worry about the mo- or not to not focus on the money uh, really kind of resonates with me because of a book I just finished. Uh, Stephen H. Covey's "The uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective." Oh people. yeah, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, Covey. it's a great yep. book. Uh, he talks about how, as humans, you have that unique endowment to control how you feel. So, I mean, you can be caught up on the money and think about all the debt you have, or you can just choose to focus on what you're passionate about and push forward and be positive because if you let that money, if you let it hound you, it's going to affect your overall being and you you have the ability. Yeah, you're so right. So it's incredibly accurate advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So the last question, uh, what is one question you think should have been added to this podcast interview to make it more valuable? Mm. I tell you, you know what, you've, you've hit a lot of good questions. Um, and it's been refreshing not to talk so much about food, but, you know, talk about general knowledge of mm-hmm. being in the business and management. Um, I, I, you know, it's tough. Tough. I don't, I'll probably think of the question when we hang up, but I really don't have one. Actually, you did pretty good. Well, if you think of the question, just shoot it to me on Facebook, and uh, we'll have you answer it for everybody. Um, Great. Um, So this is where we wrap it up, Chef. Uh, Who is one person, one restaurant professional you admire and respect and believe would make a great addition to the show? Well, I would say Jean-Marie and uh, Joelle. Um, Joelle is tough to to get a hold of. Jean-Marie Lacroix (laughs) would be excellent. Um, Someone, Todd Wentz. Todd Wentz? Yeah, Townsend Wentz. Awesome. Great. Um, I'm trying to think Sean Gall. Awesome. Well, if you guys are listening to this, you better look out because I will be knocking on the door soon. And that's actually how I found you, Chef. I got a referral. So thank you so much for uh, helping me out and helping create this resource for the people in this industry that just want to listen from the greats like you and to learn and to make themselves better. Um, This is your chance to give yourself a plug. Maybe... uh, 
if you're looking for help, uh, what kind of people you're looking for, this is a way to connect with the, the students of the industry and to maybe just tell people about what you're doing, all the great things over at Pork Salt in the Pass. Yeah, I mean, we're, just, uh, we're in Rosemont, New Jersey at uh, the Pass, and uh, come see us at the uh, Head Health Farmer's Market for Pork Salt, Charcuterie. We're there every Sunday in Philadelphia in uh, Head Health Square. Awesome, and, and all the links in the show notes will be there to connect with Chef Matthew Ridgway, um, his website, and uh, all the re- all the uh, the links to the books we talked about, the uh, services we talked about. It's all there in the show notes. www.restaurantunstoppable/slash sixty six. Thank you all so much for listening, in. Chef. Thank you very much for again taking the time to share your uh, your wisdom with us, your stories with us. And I know um, I had a lot of value listening, and I'm sure I'm not the only person. Thanks so much. Boom! Another freaking awesome show. Thank you so much, Chef Matthew Ridgeway. Man, you owned it. Your advice was so invaluable, and I hope you guys took. As much away from this interview as I did. Um, I just love these interviews. I'm learning so much as we go. Um, Rebel, that was the first time I've heard that on the show. I'll have to look more into it. It sounds like a great service. Uh, he really seemed to back it up. Um, like always, I love to do the debrief to kind of just recap what really stood out to me in, in each episode. And uh, one of the things he said was uh, talking about choosing your partner and making sure they're compatible with you and, uh, you know, make sure that when you pick somebody that you're doing business with, make sure their strengths uh, are complementary of where your weaknesses are. So you want to find people that are strong where you're weak and it's all about, you know, synergy and uh, working together and working as a unit to be as effective as possible. And he also says you have to have that trust. It's all really important stuff. Uh, I also liked his advice on websites. Um, You see a lot of restaurant websites, uh, mostly the outdated ones, that seem like they have all this pizzazz and there's different patterns going on and there's uh, crazy things flying by. There's music. You don't need all that. If anything, it's distracting. Uh, When people come to your website, they they just want a simple website to get the information, showcase maybe some of your top plates that you want to have those images there. But you don't need all the crazy, funky background stuff going on. You want to be simple uh, and very easy to use, user-friendly. So he has some great advice there. And he did it himself, which just goes to show you guys don't need to be spending thousands of dollars on your websites anymore. If you're doing that, you're throwing your money away. Uh, You can learn to do it on your own. There's episodes in Restaurant Unstoppable to teach you how to do that. Just go to the website, www.restaurantunstoppable.com, and the resources are there. And if you want to learn more about making a Kick Keister website, uh, check out the interview with Brian Castle of Restaurant Engine. It's at www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 39. And he tells you about everything you need to uh, have to have you know a great restaurant website. Uh, so check that episode out. Also, uh, he one thing... The very last piece of advice he says, don't worry about the money. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of investment that goes into this industry, but, you know, you you can't do anything about that. That's a fixed variable that you really have no control over. Don't kill yourself stressing over it because you're just wasting energy. Instead, focus that energy where you can make a difference. Focus it on yourself. And like we say, Kazin, um... Always be improving. Always be pushing yourself to the limit to make yourself better. And you can do that by reading the books. Like, I mean, 
have you noticed that all my guests are you know literate? They I mentioned these books, they know what I'm talking about. Do you think it's by chance that they're successful? Do you think it's because they do the work, they put the effort in, and they push themselves to be the the best they can possibly be? I think that's probably more the realistic answer, and you guys can do it too. All the books and all the resources we talk about are in the show notes, www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 66, and uh, you can have these books for free simply by going to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable or using the links in the show notes. You owe it to yourself to uh, improve and constantly be pushing the envelope. Uh, So get on it, you knuckleheads. What are you waiting for? Today's the day to start chicken some keister that's all i have for you guys i had a blast i hope you did too until next time peace out